0: Hello again, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris rachkowski your host today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technology that will shape the future of food. Very happy today to be speaking with Philippe Poirier, the CEO of Wilder Harrier. Welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. Now, um, you you and I have had a good chance to speak before, and I learned a little bit about your history, and you have a really interesting and different history than one might expect for somebody running a a company like yours now. Maybe tell us a little bit about what you were doing before Wilder and uh, kind of what brought you up to um, getting this company started.
1: I went to business school uh, specialized in finance market finance specifically and so i started uh, you know uh, trading stocks and working wealth management and that was an interest of mine uh, back then certainly not a passion but something i was interested in as a 19 20 year old say Um, after a few years it got kind of repetitive and i was looking at uh, other areas of finance that brought me into corporate finance specifically mergers and acquisitions so i was more on the business side of things um, helping <clears throat> entrepreneurs, you know, collect the uh, fruit of their labor. So sell their business and retire or other larger organizations uh, divest certain portions of their business or acquire a competitor, uh, enter a new market, etc. And that got me very interested in uh, business and um, even more interested in kind of jumping over the fence and going on the other side of things where to become an entrepreneur myself. And I felt like I had a that fire within me and it really um, lightened it up when i was working in 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 that industry and so on the side part-time uh, while working at the investment bank started working on uh, business ideas and they were all in the food space because that was really my true passion something that i it was clear i wanted to spend my time on and even more specifically i wanted to address um, you know have a purpose-led business so wanted to address challenges in the food system that i felt were not uh, being addressed by uh large incumbents. Yeah, I was just brainstorming a bunch of ideas and it finally led me to uh, this one, which was Alternative Protein specifically, and we can talk more about uh, that if you will.
0: It's an interesting background and I've had a lot of opportunity to be speaking with many different entrepreneurs in the, in the food space, um, really some visionary people like yourself, and it's always interesting. You, you see a lot of people that have a first, second or third career and they finally submit to their passion, one to be an entrepreneur if they weren't already, but then two in the food space. Um, and with that, you know, you're bringing a ton of really important business skills, obviously, in, into this space. So that's great. Now, you have a, a super interesting business. Um, and like you said, you had a passion for alternative proteins, sustainability, etc. But um, tell us what uh, actually Wilder does. And What are the products? And then what caused you to choose that particular sector for your company?
1: Yeah, so um, we're a pet food company. Um, we're not the typical pet food company. So what we try to do is bring uh, alternatives to the market that are both uh, sustainable, which is a, a very loaded word. So what we try to do is definitely reduce the environmental footprint of uh, current products or the market that are also uh, good for the pets. So we try to optimize health and digestion and um, things like that of our animals. So it's very important for us to do uh, absolutely no compromise on either not even the environment i think we, we look at it on a much larger scale which is um, our social purpose so you know we look at how we treat our employees we look at uh, um, how we treat our partners our suppliers so their their value chain uh, their processes as a framework for this we use a corporation certification which is something that always been a long-term a milestone for us and we're actually very advanced right now in the process of obtaining it so we're super proud of it uh, but that's something that is shaping kind of our business decisions and trying to balance profit uh, and purpose which is kind of their big tagline and it's really how we try to do business so that's how we approach the pet food industry and um, specifically for our products we use alternative proteins to do just that so we kind of explore the world to find uh, proteins that are um a little less known and that can bring a huge package of nutritional benefits to the animal and to humans in in most cases and at the same time require you know orders of magnitude less resources than beef or chicken or even fish Um, so that's how we started we started specifically with insect protein so cricket protein in dog treats and then slowly over time um, that was about six years ago and since then we've expanded our portfolio to also include uh, seaweed biscuits which also include like a repurposing of leftover pulp from a juice manufacturer so working in upcycling to also reduce food waste uh we we've developed also dog food so you know the complete daily dog food formula that uses another insect protein but also we um, started tackling invasive species so issues of Species that were um, inadvertently introduced in an ecosystem by humans and don't have any natural predators and are kind of debalancing the whole ecosystem there. So, a big example in North America is the Asian carp, uh, which is a larger title for a few different species of carp. The one we use is silver carp, and the silver carp, um, that's a long story, but yeah, basically. Um, They escaped fish tanks in the 70s after a a huge flood and are now kind of debalancing uh, North American river systems because they don't have predators, they grow uh, enormously uh, large, they reproduce very fast and they're voracious. So there's no food left for the native fish. So it's our our portfolio or our purpose is is pretty large. Um, We started with insect protein. Now it's much larger than that to include upcycling, and invasive species, for example, but also uh, local economy, etc. And why we started with uh, all that is well, the the inspiration came from a report by the United Nations in 2013 that basically asked themselves, how can we feed a growing population that will soon reach 50 billion people? And um, so the best solution that they arrived at was insect protein, and that really was the the spark of a whole market, a whole industry. There are a lot of suppliers right now that. Uh, Kind of started popping up around the world and raising uh, important investments, developing infrastructure and um, supplying the protein in in large quantities uh, enough for brands like us to work um, profitably. And we decided to start with our animals as well, because when we started doing our kind of uh, surveys early on in 2014, um, in Western countries, we're not necessarily ready to integrate that on a massive scale uh, to their diet. But when we switched the narrative and we asked them, would you be interested or open to feed it to your pet though, Uh, if you knew, you know, that it was safe and healthy for them and also helping the the cause of our planet and the results almost perfectly switched. So it was about, you know, 20% only that were interested to eat it themselves, but about 80% that were open to feeding it to their pets. So that's how the the business got started in that direction.
0: Yeah, I I find this, uh, you know, as a fellow entrepreneur in, in my history, a really interesting approach to the business. A lot of people have the, I'd say the passion for a particular product that drives them to do it, yeah. um, whatever the business is, but it, it's really interesting to see you followed a very analytical process. I think of you had a passion for a sustainable change in exactly protein. And instead of saying, well, we're going to convince humans to eat this. It's like well let's take a lower entry barrier sort of market segment if you will and yeah. uh, go after that and I, I think it's a very innovative and, and smart way to get people comfortable with a product and uh, with their pets um, and dogs in this case very very happy and comfortable and healthy eating the product, it is probably a good sort of stealth approach to getting us uh, Westerners who aren't quite as familiar with eating insects kind of up that curve and and understanding that can be a good thing. Exactly.
1: And I forget who said that, but um, we had heard in the early days of our business um, from some podcast or book, don't fall in love with your solution, fall in love with the problem. And in that way, you won't be closed off to only you know one way of, of solving your problem. You'll just be focusing on how best to solve it and continuously reinventing yourself. And that's basically what we tried to do. So we didn't f- fall in love with the solution of cricket protein, dog treats. We fell in love with the problem of helping to build a sustainable food system through our pets. And that allows us to explore you know almost um, infinitely.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, maybe a little bit of a a side topic, but an important one from the market point of view, do you have any, through surveys or just knowing your customers, do you have any feeling for, are the customers of your product as the human customers, are they maybe tending more in the direction of being accepting of alternate proteins?
1: For sure so definitely not uh, the majority of them because uh, we we can definitely see that uh, it's still the case today although there's been tremendous growth on the side of uh, human insect protein for example food well if we if we use alternative proteins at large definitely target customer is uh, majorly vegetarian vegan or is at least sensitive to reducing their intake of meat and exploring other alternative proteins If we look at insects specifically, then on average, for sure, our customer is more open-minded to trying it or has tried it, even make some partnerships with insect protein, uh, other, other insect based snacks. So we do see that we have similar customers and uh, there's some synergies there. uh, Absolutely.
0: Excellent. Well, I want to maybe start digging a little bit into how you're using technologies to, you know, essentially get your product out there and maybe start from customer side and work our way back in the human food space. The last two years has been very, very interesting because essentially e-commerce forced upon many people, whether they wanted to buy food um, online or not, it became convenient and necessary in many cases. I'm curious for your product, what are the challenges or sort of the benefits you're seeing in using e-commerce as a sort of a vector to get to your customers? Yeah. So since the beginning,
1: we uh, saw our business omnichannel, omni-channel. We opened our e-commerce store at the same time as launching in uh, physical retail stores since day one. But at that time, you know, it's, it takes a lot longer to build interesting traction uh, on e-commerce or at least large sums of marketing investments. So when we, our first year was probably about 95% retail and 5% uh, online e-commerce. But as you mentioned, the latest crisis immediately basically uh catapulted our e-commerce revenue um, by about 5x. We expected it to kind of come back down as people went back to their old habits. That never happened. And we've since doubled. So it's uh it's been very good for our e-commerce business. Um, I think in general, also Canada was, because uh, we're based in Montreal, Canada was pretty late to the e-commerce game. If we compare it to our, our U.S. neighbor um, in terms of percentage of the market, uh, if the numbers I've seen recently was that we were, you know, below 10% of market share for e-commerce um, in, in in general in CPG, and the U.S. was closer to 25. And since COVID, we've kind of caught back caught up and we're now in in the low 20s. I think one of the challenges you were asking about challenges In Canada, is that we cover such a large geography with um, a relatively small population that costs of shipping are pretty high. So, I think that's what that's been one of the main roadblocks for e commerce in Canada. Um, There are ways to kind of circumvent it. And also, as you grow, you're able to have economies of scale and better processes that allow you to be more competitive. So, for us, we've kind of reached that point and now it's a very interesting business for us. And we're now just expanding in the US uh, because we have the. The capital for it, but also because majorly we were waiting for a uh, change of regulations for one of our main ingredients, which is a, an insect protein, um, had to be approved by the FDA for uh, use in, in dogs, and it was just approved in August. So we're uh, that's a pretty big change for our business, and so we're just entering right now.
0: Excellent. Well, one of the certainly one of the key challenges I, that we've seen in on the e-commerce side also. Magnified by new products that are out there is helping customers to understand it, providing transparency of what's in the product, why should they trust it, why should they trust the founders of this company? Yeah. How are you kind of getting across that hurdle on the e commerce side? We see lots of different solutions of social media and all sorts of things. What's your approach to getting customers comfortable with your product and really understanding your your mission and purpose?
1: yeah, uh, that's a big challenge so we have various ways about it, so I think we have, you know, um, a few strategies that I can talk about. Um, one of the main ones is transparency of customer feedback. So we have embedded reviews on our website as well as on our all our social apps, Google, uh, the social media, Amazon. And this is very transparent by nature because every user or every uh, customer that orders a product can leave a review and we don't delete any of them. And so if there's a one star review by someone who wasn't happy with their product or the service, um, it'll be there and we will respond as a company. We will address it. And uh, that keeps us honest because, uh, you know, if if we don't do a good job, then our customers will know and all all of our customers and prospects will know so that's certainly i think one of the main tactics that we can use for that then there's a uh, kind of the experts uh, opinion that can be very useful and powerful so um i i don't necessarily think that veterinarians in our industry are the key holders of opinion on on nutrition as doctors are not necessarily for humans but they still hold some weight for for our customers so We'll uh, approach some dermatologists or because uh, our products have uh, tremendous benefits for dog allergies, for example. So dermatologists mm-hmm. can be very well positioned to talk about um, our proteins. And so we'll have testimonials from them. Uh, our products are also um, developed and formulated by experts in animal nutrition. So we'll put them uh, up front. They're also developed according to the guidelines of a national uh, organization that basically um, the norm in terms of animal nutrition, so putting that forward also ensures some minimum quality mm-hmm. requirements. Uh, there's also external review journals that have reviewed our products positively, so we share that. Um, so all that kind of gives credibility to the brand and um, to our to the quality of the products. Mm-hmm. Something else that we want to do more in the future, we've kind of started, but we're just limited in, in our time and resources. But it's putting our suppliers forward, putting our ingredients forward. So we do kind of list every ingredient and add an explanation of like where it comes from and um, what the uh, benefits specifically the nutritional benefits of these ingredients are. Um, And we're very transparent in, in our ingredients. So you'll see that, uh, you know, there's much less fillers, uh, much less, uh, there's absolutely no antibiotics, uh, uh, conservative, conservatives, things like that. But uh, so putting our suppliers forward and showing that, uh, you know, we work with people that are, under let's say uh, a few hundred kilometers from where our products are produced um, Mm -hmm. and they're uh, small-scale farmers things like that that really speaks to uh, customers especially today um, and speaks at the same time to the quality of the ingredients the uh, environmentally sustainable uh, aspects Mm -hmm. of things so those are kind of a, a lot of various ways that we do and i think finally something i can add is we've just now incorporated qr codes to our packaging as well so that there's an interactive aspect to the, the packaging on shelf that the customers can read and view and interact with a lot more information than is limited by the four sides of, of the bag uh, on mm-hmm. shelf.
0: Interesting, I'll dive into that a little bit more in, in a few moments. But you, you brought up a topic that is quite common for human foods of uh, people being interested in buying locally, supporting local farmers, um, understanding the, you know, the quality of products, of uh, the raw materials coming into that whatever food item they're buying, and it sounds like you're seeing the same with you know, certainly very passionate pet owners who are we uh, hear quite often, especially in the last few decades, you know, pets are really part of the family. Um, yeah, sometimes they're more important than others. <laughs> yeah, in the family. Um, so it's it's really not a surprise to me that the um, pet owners would be wanting to look at where that comes from, and it sounds like you're using a example, QR codes to enable some interactivity with the customers, um, does that include basically giving visibility, transparency back to the suppliers and in some way enabling sort of, if you will, dynamic social media or dynamic um, sort of a view through your supply chain for those customers?
1: We haven't incorporated that uh, at the moment, but that is certainly the vision that we have of it exactly um, and enabling real time tracing as well of each batch. So we already have a batch number um, in our backlog. We can already know which ingredients were included in that batch and, you know, uh, from which batch of our suppliers they came from. So enabling that, for example, through blockchain or just uh, through a just doing it uh, manually through uh, a mm-hmm. technological software certainly be something that we're interested in uh, in the short Term.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I hear that a lot from quite a number of entrepreneurs in the food space, and you know, many of them bringing with them history of running other types of companies or being involved with other types of companies. So they they have this technical mindset about you know what can it do for us, but you know, they're not dev shops. You know, you're, you don't have necessarily a you know a, a large group of developers sitting there waiting yeah. to develop the next thing, and that's it's. it's I've heard that before, that there are people sometimes just waiting for the products to drop so that they can essentially add that on, add that in as to what they're already doing. Like, sounds like you a very well-developed sort of ERP system for supply chain management. Um, yeah. You can figure out exactly what's in each package of product that you sell and yeah. enabling customers to do that in a dynamic way with your face, your partner's faces involved with the whole social media around it, Um, I think really, we're seeing that bring a lot of trust and a word that comes up often is authenticity in products. That's right. Yeah. Do you feel like the the concept of authenticity and sort of the, really the ethos of yourself and your partners as founders, is that important in coming through in your marketing approach?
1: Yeah, it's it's huge. And it's something that uh, we kind of get reminded every year that we don't do enough. So uh, basically, when we look back at our marketing initiatives the most efficient or successful with our customers by far is whenever there's the story of the business is shared um, either our faces at an event or we just share some uh, what's happening in the background at the office so we share pictures of the employees or we share uh, videos of the warehouse of the packages being sent so when customers feel like they're kind of involved in the story of the business more than just being sold the products or even even if it's not being sold but if they're yeah the the story of the business versus all of the benefits of the products is Mm -hmm. of tremendous importance so we're trying to be uh, aware of that and do that uh, proactively
0: so it sounds like you're also seeing people trending toward making buying decisions based on these factors whereas for human food products the and I think the same is true for dogs in, in terms of how people perceive their dogs enjoying their food, being healthy, et cetera. But two key factors are taste and cost. Basically, that takes care of almost everything, but definitely seems like there's a trend in people. Of course, those are going to be maintain the two top decision factors, but people do seem to be significantly influencing their purchasing decisions based on, you know, do I like this company? Certain sustainability. You know features that are important to me, yeah. and you're seeing that coming through pretty strongly on the on the pet food side too. It sounds.
1: Yeah, and um, I don't want to limit uh, or, or categorize people into groups, but uh, I think the new generations are. Um, Doing that even more strongly by default, our gener- our, our customers uh, tend to be more in the uh, millennial generation, and then more and more already uh, we see the Gen Zs uh, becoming a, a strong portion of the of the customer population. That's what they demand.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and that's an interesting point because I, I've heard the same, and I think we're all a little bit resistant to um, categorizing people. Um, or at least in some parts of the world we are. <laughs> but it's important from a marketing point of view so we we know who we're going after as key target customers. I, I'm curious from your point of view, do you have visibility into the I guess the the market makeup of your customer base in terms of age groups. Yeah. What percentage are you seeing in this? Let's say the 35 and below category.
1: Yeah, it's it's about 80% of our customers. It's it's the vast majority, and it's been like that since the beginning. And yeah, we do have customers from all groups of age, but that's definitely the the one with uh, whom I guess our brand and maybe even the image or the personality or I'm not sure what it is, but uh, resonates the most with.
0: Well, let's switch again a little bit to kind of the raw materials in your product. I was just thinking that it, it's funny for me that we're having a discussion about this really interesting protein content company that sells pet food and insects are a key part of that, you know, the key part of it for most of your products. I feel like five or 10 years ago. It would be a shocking discussion. Everybody would be very exciting in talking about this. But it seems like it's also to the point these days where it's like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, nobody's too shocked about it. Maybe people aren't ready to dive right in but nobody seems that surprised. Is that your experience also?
1: Yeah, so we started commercializing our products in 2015, so already six years ago, and we've been doing trade shows every year and uh, customer events as well. And the response was completely different back then than today for sure. So back then we were informing everyone of this possibility and the major uh, reaction was, was shock. And uh, you know some disgust or some, a lot of incomprehension, a lot of confusion. And today, uh, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. we, we almost never get that. It's, uh, I think, 95% of people are have already been kind of exposed to the idea and they know, and they can either decide if it's for them or if they're not ready yet. But uh, we don't see that as much of a resistance to it. I think the main no's that we get are just a lack of information as to why I would make the change rather than, uh, than resistance. Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like as we were talking before about transparency and authenticity and being able to show to customers that, you know, these aren't bugs. People sometimes think about those dirty cockroaches somewhere. This is protein source. This is um, insect meat basically raised in extremely well-controlled conditions, very, very clean. To your point, there's no antibiotics in it, Um, potentially very, very low, you know, non Sort of natural products. How much do you emphasize that sort of the source of the raw materials, the insects, and the cleanliness of those conditions? Is does that kind of get also some of the people over the hurdle as well?
1: Yeah, and actually, uh, my my response is twofold. It's uh, absolutely, and then uh, no, we don't do it as, uh, enough, but it's it's something that uh, you know every year we're just uh, kind of improving our marketing strategy and the the big takeaway this year was uh, we don't educate our customers enough about the safety of our proteins and mm-hmm. so we we start going into all kinds of marketing directions but the bottom line is uh, people have to be comforted about the the safety and uh, the nutritional aspect of these uh, of these proteins to really understand why they would feed it to their dogs. You know, it's not just to save the planet. Um, we talk a lot about environment and so it can seem like compromise for them as as a dog owner to, if, if I want to reduce my environmental footprint, I have to switch to this protein, but it comes with cons. Truly, there's absolutely no uh, drawback. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's something that we have to, we often get the question, how do you catch them? You know, and uh, so <laughs> clearly there's something that's not being communicated.
0: Right, another sort of channel for your protein is something I find to be a a really amazing approach to sustainability, which is the invasive species that you're Mm -hmm. working with, the the Asian carp, which I think as you described is actually a variety of species of carp, but that are at least in North America, let's say not original inhabitants and causing some trouble (laughs) in ecosystems. And there's a whole bunch of things to talk about on this topic, but I, I can see tremendous interest from customers on this because, one, well, it's a, quote, normal protein. People are excited about that, but they can actually feel good Mm -hmm. about doing something for the environment also. It's not, you know, some horrible fish farm somewhere that is, you know, essentially torturing animals to get them into your can of food for your dog. Um, How do you communicate that benefit to your customers that one, you're reducing environmental problems by using this product, but two, that you know, where is it coming from? How do I feel comfortable that it's not coming out of some polluted canal behind a chemical factory? <laughs> yeah,
1: so far we've, uh, because of COVID, also mainly we haven't been able to uh, go to the source in uh, in Illinois to film and uh, showcase. These fishermen that are in the Illinois Basin and uh, fishing very passively as well. It's a very uh, environmentally responsible uh, fishing method, which basically includes large fishing nets with uh, large holes because the Asian carp is quite big, and they just leave the the nets overnight in the water, and uh, native fish are able to swim through the holes, and the carps stay stay cut in it, and there's no um, raking the mm-hmm. this the water floor. Um, and so we, we want to be able to, so we talk about all this, you know, so how do we do it right now with, through stories, through video, uh, through animation, um, on the back of our packaging, through various posts, mm-hmm. uh, in PR. But uh, we haven't been able to show visually what it entails, Uh, we also have interviews with our supplier, things like that, so we try to do it as as best as we can, but um, what we really want to do is be able to go on location and share how it is truly with with our customers, because really we're very proud of it. Anyone who has seen uh, Seaspiracy and any other documentary about this, cause, but Seaspiracy did it in a very uh, profound way, is that basically there's no good alternative to fish and, and seafood. It seems like wherever you go, whether it's wild caught, whether it's farmed, whether it's fish or uh, shellfish, everything has a very massive uh, impacts on on our environment and on our planet or on uh, socially as well in some cases right. but the silver carp or the asian carp um, seems to just be the only alternative that makes sense uh, hmm. because it needs to be fished out and it's either we fish it out and waste the meat or we fish it out and are able to give it a Commercial value and actually even a a nutritional value.
0: Yeah, that um, I could see a huge um, increase in demand just from people literally wanting to buy the product. Of course, it has to be good and healthy for the animal, but it's like, and, and again, the demographic that you're hitting, these are people that want to do something good, proactively do something that's helping sustainability. I can see people buying it just because they're improving an environmental situation somewhere. And to your point, they just need to be able to understand that you know, very clearly and transparently. Yeah, education is a big
1: piece of our of our business and our, our marketing for sure.
0: Hmm. So I'm curious, I, I think uh, quite a lot of your product, if not all of it, is aimed at dogs. And I think there are some some additional challenges in making food for cats, uh, especially with insects. So though, you know, in, in my reading there, I, I can see that's going to happen but it's mm-hmm. taking a bit more time with some perceptions that cats have different, very critical nutritional profiles that need to be managed, but you uh, have a really interesting supply chain for a type of protein that cats are pretty well proven to do well on, which are fish. I am curious, mm-hmm. do you see uh, your company expanding into uh, cat food?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's something that it's the the question that we get the most since the founding of our business. So I think our customers are very eager. The ones who have both dogs and cats are very eager to also feed Wilder Hairier to their cats. And the ones who don't have dogs, they're just eager to be able to... Uh, purchase our products it's it's kind of uh, two ways so the product development itself is kind of uh, a little more complicated because as you said the so cats are much more carnivore than uh, dogs so dogs are omnivore they can survive on a or thrive on a varied diet uh, where cats need a much higher amount of protein and fat our proteins are much more expensive than traditional uh, meat proteins much much more so and uh, partly because the industry is still um, very young and hasn't achieved the economies of scale that uh, the meat industry has. Maybe not for, for the best, but uh, anyway, meat should probably be a lot more expensive. But, uh, right. but so the product development is a little more, a bit more expensive. On the other side, uh, it's just uh, also as entrepreneurs uh, of a small business with limited resources, both financially and, and human, um we can't kind of go after every goose mm. egg uh, or opportunity that we're interested in because uh yeah we would be all over the place and it's something that we've been doing constantly since the founding of the business something that we are constantly learning to focus 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 and um so you know if it was just our personal prefer- preference we would already have cat products but um unfortunately we need to uh make sure that it makes sense For the business as well so i think they're a few years away but uh as soon as possible
0: i'm curious as an aside and maybe something you don't know about the this carp these carp species are a problem because somebody at some point thought it would be a great idea to farm them i'm guessing they were used to clean the the tanks actually okay okay at the same time they have proven themselves to be quite capable of uh, surviving in ecosystems and growing tremendously, and they're actually a great product. Would you foresee them being able to be farmed environmentally in an environmentally sustainable way? Or do you think that is not a direction that at least North America would go?
1: That's a tough question because I think, yeah, I don't know if uh, I don't know if Wilder Harrier would go in that direction uh, Mm. to uh, to use farmed fish with everything that we know uh, of the, the quality of life of the animal, the pollution that it creates, the, the quality of the feed usually and things like that. So I think right now we're happy with solving the problem in, in uh, the wild. And whenever that gets uh, solved, then we'll have done our job and we'll move on to a yeah. different uh, alternative species.
0: Well, that certainly resonates with me, Uh, same personal or similar personal views on that. You mentioned an interesting comment before that, you know, in the insect protein area, you know, is rather expensive, sort of raw material. This is true. I think in any new quote technology that comes out when it's first introduced into the market, there's certain types of consumers that buy it. They pay a premium for it because it satisfies their personal interests. and you know, if, and as the demand grows, costs go down, which, and by the way, of course, it's not only for pets, but it will be also for humans as well. In terms of raw material, what do you see coming over the next 10 years in terms of maybe we think about it as the percentage growth in production in north america of insect proteins do you see it sort of doing the the usual hockey stick type of thing that we expect in tech companies shall we say or do you see a more moderate growth ahead which would indicate you know it may still be a somewhat um, pricey protein source mm.
1: no yeah i think so um, there are some obvious uh, improvements that can be done for example in terms of uh, automation um, so just automating the processes will cut costs uh, pretty importantly, and then and then size, of course. So I think the best uh, estimates that I've seen in terms of market research show a an annual growth of between, let's say, 30 and 50 percent uh, annually. Um, so that would uh, that is not necessarily quite hockey stick, but it, it brings us to a market of uh, of uh, several billion dollars in, in North America only uh, within a few years. So that would still be very interesting for us and uh, yeah, I think insect protein is not the only solution to uh, bring sustainability to our food system, but I think it will be part of it. It will be an important part of it.
0: Excellent. So what do we see in the next uh, two or three years for Wilder Harrier? You know, what, what kind of new products might we expect from you? What, what kind of geographic reach are you uh, intending to have? I'm curious to hear about that.
1: Yeah, um, well, we have so many projects so uh, let's see, let's say, um, you know, over the next decade where we see ourselves. So we've started exporting. We're uh, now uh, selling our products in in Korea. As I was mentioning, we're entering this, the United States slowly. So I think over the, the next decade, we'd love to uh, expand mm-hmm. in Europe as well and uh, the rest of Asia. So that's something that has already kind of been uh, started in the works. And in terms of products, CATS uh, is the logical next uh, customer. But in terms of types of products, we now have a, a dry kibble, um, because this is something that um, most of our customers need and want. But um, we think the market is moving towards fresh food for pets, and it's also something that we we think is makes a lot of sense in terms of uh, you know keeping the pet interested and also um, keeping uh, the ingredients as fresh as possible. So we're working on that and also working on um, probably a line of of uh, toys and accessories that would be made with uh, plastic recycled from oceans or any other uh, uh, you know, wasted plastic.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, so the theme is uh, consistent all the way through in sustainability and utilizing resources that uh, um, can be reused that might have been waste in, in other situations.
1: Yeah, our purpose is very strong so i don't think we're gonna move away from that anytime soon
0: excellent well really appreciate you being with us here today philippe Um, wilder hair is a tremendously interesting company and and again i'm personally very impressed that it it started with a an ethos and a mission for sustainability in the approach you had with proteins and, and really was an a decision on let's go after this market sector because one it's a cool market sector, but you know it's it's a way of getting this product into society and sort of building momentum there. So it's yeah, an excellent strategy and approach. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Uh, it's super appreciated. It. Excellent. Well, we look forward to having you on again, and uh, great success with your products. And looking forward to using it myself. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform.
1: Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.